You might like to uh, keep that uh, chapter open uh, as we're in Luke 1 tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you made yourself known to Mary and you make yourself known to us through your word. And we pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us to help us to worship and acknowledge you as Lord our God. Amen. Well, there you have the um, title of our sermon tonight, Mary's Song. It's one of the songs that you'll find in this first chapter of Luke's Gospel. But I want to uh, not start with Mary's Song because just lifting that out is a bit artificial. So my verse that I've taken as my, if you like, overriding theme for tonight is, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 37. It seems to me that this summarizes the whole of the Christmas message that we are considering in these uh, few weeks leading up to Christmas. Now, I wondered, what is our understanding of God? and our viewpoint on life. There's a saying, isn't there? Uh, It's a a common saying in our culture. Are we a half-full-glass person, or are we a half-empty-glass person? In other words, do we look on the bright side of life, or do we look from perhaps a bit more of a pessimistic viewpoint, or are we somewhere along that continuum? Well, I think it'll be the same, won't it, uh, upon our understanding of this God that we are reading about. Last week, Richard spoke on how Zachariah and Mary responded differently to the visitations of the angel Gabriel. If you remember that account, Zachariah doubted God's words, and as a result of that, he was struck dumb. Mary certainly questioned them, but she accepted God's plan and believed in them, which would lead her to her song uh, tonight of praise. So I wonder, what is it that we expect of God? Do we have a God who is in charge, a God who has a plan, who doesn't leave things to chance? Or do we follow a benign God which allows life to go on without any purpose or direction? Do we expect our own life experiences to include seeing God at work? Or perhaps we don't even acknowledge that there is a God and we have no faith in him at all. Well, surely the same must have been said, this range of attitudes and understanding for the people of Israel at this time of Jesus' birth. If you remember, for 400 years, the people of Israel had had no direct input from God at all. There'd been no prophets in their land. God had been silent It's a long time, isn't it? 400 years. It's like us going back to 1617. And through this 400 years, the Jewish people had been increasingly dependent upon the Sadducees and the Pharisees interpreting their law and their sacred texts. But as we come to Luke 1, 
we see that God, in fact, hadn't been silent and hadn't been distant. He'd been preparing a way for his plan of salvation to actually take place. So as we look at Luke 1, I thought it would be good if we looked at something of God's character and the way that he actually works before we get to the song of Mary. So let's have a look at God's character and intervention. The first point I want to bring out is that God chooses unlikely places for his action and his plans to take place. We read that uh, the, the baby Jesus was going to be born in the town of Nazareth, set in the hill country of Judea. In John 1, we read that Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a small and insignificant town, not the type of place where one would expect God to choose for his Messiah to come from. And I think, well, isn't this an encouragement for all of us here this evening that God can work in unlikely places, small, insignificant places in the world. He can even work here in Norwich, stuck out in this little bit of land into the North Sea. It's an encouragement for all of us. He works in unlikely places. But secondly, God chooses to work through unlikely people. He chooses to work through unlikely people. He had chosen for his plan Mary, this young teenager. Some estimate somewhere between the age of 13 and 15. A virgin pledged to marry a carpenter. Now this person, Mary, was relatively uneducated. She wasn't a well-educated lady. She didn't come from a good Jewish family, living in a city like Jerusalem, which was the center of religious life. But we read in this Luke's Gospel that she was chosen by God for the task of bringing God's Messiah into the world. She was what the Bible says was favored by God. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we can celebrate tonight? That this young girl, who was humble, a humble servant and obedient young lady, was chosen by God. God chose unlikely people for his work to be done. And we see this not only here, but throughout the Bible and within Jesus' life and continues today. I've been greatly encouraged over the last few weeks of hearing of people who have got to the rock bottom of life. They've abused their lives, and yet God has met with them, and God has lifted them up to be used by him. We can be encouraged that God can use people who are willing to be obedient to his call upon their lives. Because, as verse 37 said, for nothing is impossible with God. But thirdly, we see that God chooses to use supernatural intervention into the world in the sending of his angel Gabriel and the Holy Spirit. And there's a physical reality here and a spiritual reality with God's intervention. 
We read in this first chapter of Luke's Gospel that the angel appeared twice to human beings. And isn't this an amazing event? Isn't this an event that tends when, when angels appear that people react with fear and wonderment because it's beyond the normal human experience. It's beyond our experience, it's beyond our understanding and it's beyond, quite importantly, our control. And so we see this again today when God's spirit breaks out and strange things happen, often in times of revivals. A recent one being the Toronto Blessing. And we see the same in the Bible when God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. He must have been terrified. And what about the transfiguration of Jesus and Pentecost to name just a few occasions? Well, here in this chapter one, we read of Mary's meeting with the angel Gabriel. She doesn't appear to be troubled particularly by it, but she is troubled by the words and the greetings given by him. And yet we see that she accepts them and she submits to them. But we also see not only the meeting with the angel, we see the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit within this account. Look at verse 35. God promises to send his Holy Spirit upon Mary. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, which will enable the conception of the baby Jesus and the plan of salvation to work. Now, of course, we know that many in our society object to the concept of the virgin birth of Jesus. But they do so because they don't acknowledge and believe that God's Holy Spirit has the power to do this. We need to remember verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. And we see also within this first chapter that the Holy Spirit is at work with Elizabeth when she greets Mary, when Mary goes to visit her, and the baby that witnesses to the coming of Jesus. And later we read of the Holy Spirit enabling Mary to deliver her song of praise in verses 46 to 55 which is our passage tonight. And so again, we've got an encouragement here, haven't we? God sends this Holy Spirit to Mary and to Elizabeth. But we know from the Gospels that Jesus promises this to those that follow him, that they will be empowered by the same Spirit when they follow him. That's a wonderful encouragement for each one of us today. But what is Mary's response to God's promise to her? Well, we see Mary's response in verse 46. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Now in this, Mary is recognizing her need for saving, and that God is going to do this. And it leads her to praise of God. And I wondered as I was thinking and praying about this, as we come to this Christmas time, do we praise God for the fact that he sent his son to die for us so that we can have saving, we can have salvation? And can we celebrate this this Christmas time? 
Well, we should be able to, and we can share this with others who don't recognize Jesus, that he died for them. It's a wonderful opportunity Christmas gives us to share with people the the fantastic news that Jesus came to die for us. And so we see in this passage that Mary met with Gabriel, listened, accepted the message, and then goes on to a journey to visit her cousin. Meanwhile, as she was doing that journey, she must have been meditating on what had happened. And the result of this is Mary's song, what is called the Magnificat. It's a hymn of praise which follows the form found in the Psalms, which begins by thanking God and then telling us why one is thankful. So if you look at Psalm Psalm 103, you will see this structure which Mary's song uh, follows. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost beings. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And this is the pattern that this song of Mary's follows. It's a spiritual pattern enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 46 we read, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Now you will note here that Mary is not using her mind or her body to praise God. No, it's her soul and spirit that glorifies God. And the tense of the word magnifies means it's an ongoing process. She's going to go on and carry on to glorify the Lord. And it's a witness to the fact that her God is a saving God through whom all things are possible and that she needs saving. And so we see here that Mary acknowledges what God is going to do for the world through her. And there again, it's another encouragement for us, isn't it, that all can be saved by Jesus. Mary displays an understanding of the fact that God had chosen a humble maidservant of lowly state. Look at verse 48. It refers to her low social class in an occupied country and that her life would have a profound impact on the present and the future world. The Holy Spirit enables her to see the fact that she would be blessed and she would be a blessing through this action, not only in her time, but in years and years to come. We also see here from these sentences that God blesses and champions the poor, the oppressed, the despised. In fact, God overturns the norms of the society which upholds the proud and the wealthy. And we'll see more of this later. And so, within this song, verses 46 through to 55, we see something of the character of God as Mary understands it. She has an insight into God's character. And that insight gives her the confidence in him. And we can be reminded and encouraged 
and benefit from this insight as we have in our faith as well. So we can be encouraged by Mary's insight. So what is Mary's insight into his character? Let's have a look at God's character as Mary sees it. Firstly, we see that she sees the holiness of God. Mary acknowledges all that God has done for her in verses 48 and 49. She says this, and she states that God's name is holy. Now, we need to understand here, of course, that names in the times of antiquity meant a lot more than they do to us today. The name of the person was used in a much fuller sense than we tend to use it. It stood for the whole person's character. So this statement means not simply that God's name is a holy name and must be used reverently. It means that the whole of God is holy, completely pure and filled with majesty and glory. And I wondered, is this our understanding of the nature of God? Because if it is, how will this affect the way we worship in church and within our own lives and the people we mix with? The holiness of God. But secondly, she declares the second characteristic of God is the power of God. Look at verse 51. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble shown in the arm of God. Now, this is not just a reference to the New Testament. This comes from Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51 verse 5 says this, My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. And so we see here that God's power is shown to the world as he scatters the proud brings down the powerful, and sends the rich away hungry. Now, the proud here are indicated by those that have not subjected their thoughts and minds to God's rule. Their imaginations are their own, and they are proud, not just their actions. And again, this should be a warning to all of us who follow Jesus, We who live in a society that teaches us that we have the right to self in thoughts as well as deeds. And the Apostle Paul reminds Christians in Ephesus the same thing. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. And so Paul is saying to these Christians, they are to submit their minds and their imaginations all to Jesus, if they are to be his followers. We see also in verse 52 this uh, reference to the mighty. And the mighty here refers to the rulers on earth. That is, those that are political and military rulers. Mary proclaims that her God has authority over these seemingly secure and powerful people. 
And it's a revolutionary note here, isn't it, in verses 52 to 53. It goes right against the norms of human society. Mary proclaims that God's power is seen in his mercy to his own people, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things. And this is for the present time when Mary was writing, but it was also for the future. Now, in Mary's society, the poor would have been seen to have been hungry, and there was an enormous gap between the poor and the ruling class. And Mary is saying here that God's viewpoint is completely opposite to that of mankind's. And of course, this is a prelude to Jesus' teaching, which comes 30 years later, where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proclaims in Matthew 5 that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of God is theirs. We may well ask ourselves, well, if this is completely opposite to that of the world's values, how is this possible? Well, we go back again to verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, if this is the case then, that God blesses those that are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth, perhaps we need to revisit our own value system to see how we measure success, both in society and also within God's family, the church. And so we've seen that God's character has power and he has holiness. But thirdly, we see the mercy of God in this song. In this song, in verses 54 to 55, she completes her song by saying, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So what's she doing here? Well, she's linking in the promises that God made to Abraham to be a merciful God forever. We read of this in Genesis chapter 22. And we see here that Jesus fulfilled the promises made in Micah as well, that he would come and bring salvation to his people. Mary understood this as revealed by the Holy Spirit. So Mary's song links in the Old Testament promises with the New Testament and the coming of the Messiah Jesus Christ. So I wondered, as I was thinking and praying about this passage, is this our understanding of God? A holy, powerful, and merciful God. That's the great message for Christmas time. Mary's song shows us what is seen is not all that it seems. God takes the values of the world and the expectations of the world and turns them upside down. God himself would come to earth in Jesus Christ and face rejection by the proud, the powerful, the rich and the religious. And he would lift the lowly and fill the hungry. And we see through this song of Mary's and later through the life of Jesus that God is mighty and merciful but ruthless against pride and injustice, but sensitive to individual needs. 
God knows of humanity's sinful, stubborn nature, and he sent Jesus, his son, to redeem it. How and why? Well, verse 37 again. For nothing is impossible with God. And so we see, I think, from this song, this very short song, that Mary was a revolutionary of her time. She was a humble young lady who has, shows us a large vision of God, a sense of God's purpose of salvation, and a heart of God for oppressed people. And it's a strong message for us of faith in God, who wills to act in a sinful world, to save it and to redeem it. And if it's true, then this is one that we can take into Christmas this year. Because remember, we have a God for whom nothing is impossible. So then, what's our response going to be this Christmas time? Well, I think there are possibly four responses that we can make. Firstly, we can praise God for what he is, what he has done, and what he has offered us. And we do that, of course, often through our carols that we sing. We can share the good, this good news with others and we can do it again by inviting people to hear this good news at our carol service next week. If, however, we don't, we don't know Jesus as, uh, as God and we still don't know, know whether we really understand this, we can investigate this God through our discovery course that we are running in February. And fourthly, we can accept God's offer of salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross. Remember, we have a saviour who loved the world so much that he came as a baby, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross so that we can have the promises of God spending eternity with him, praising and saying, holy, holy is our God. Amen.